The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's Luke 18, verses 9 through 14 in the NIV. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and get a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. When our 10-year-old daughter Esther was a baby, she was a champion sleeper. She still is. She started sleeping through the night pretty quickly. She'd sleep until like 9.30 in the morning. She would sleep in the car seat. She was awesome. Of course, there were hiccups and regressions, but overall, she was an amazing sleepover, sleeper. Uh, around the same time we had our daughter Esther, some friends of ours also had a baby. Their son was not a good sleeper. He kept them up for months and months and months. It took him a long time to sleep through the night. In terms of sleep, he was just a different kid than Esther. And how do you suppose your very spiritual pastor responded to this season of difficulty in her friend's life? Probably with compassion, prayer, offering meals, leaving notes of encouragement, right? Um, so I might have done some of that. But to be honest, I was so haughty. I was just so prideful. I was pretty certain that the reason Esther slept through the night and their kiddo didn't was because we did sleep training right. We were better at putting our kid to sleep. We had better habits. We had figured out the magic way of making babies sleep. And if only they were more like us. Thank you, God, for not making us like those people whose baby doesn't sleep. Oh, I was so prideful. Do you know how God humbled me? We had Silas. <laughs> same parents, same sleep methods, same rhythms, different kid. <laughs> Silas has never been a good sleeper. He's eight now, and he still regularly wakes me up for some odd reason in the middle of the night. Parenting, right, is just a series of moments of feeling like you're getting it right, followed by stark clarity that you are so very dependent on God's goodness for the health and well-being of your child. <laughs> God will humble those who exalt themselves and exalt the humble. <laughs> Over these past few weeks, we've been reading through some of the parables of Jesus, and we've been asking the question, what does this parable tell us about life in the kingdom of God? Today, we look at this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector with the same question. What does this parable tell us about life in the kingdom of God? The way this parable is told is intended to present the hearers with a stark choice. Will you be like this one or this one? Will you be like the Pharisee or the tax collector? Now, if you asked Jesus' audience which one they'd rather be like before Jesus told the story, 
the audience would have all said the Pharisee. Because although sometimes in the 21st century, we like to make the Pharisees out to be the villains in the New Testament, that's not really how they were perceived. That's not really reality. The Pharisees were a group of Israelites who were genuinely concerned with following God's word. They were known for taking their faith seriously. They went above and beyond in their spiritual practices. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were pariahs. They were employed by Rome, the enemy, the occupier. They were sent to collect taxes both for Rome and for the temple in Jerusalem. And many tax collectors were just like the sheriff of Nottingham in Disney's Robin Hood, taking money from the poor, inflating taxes to line their own pockets, cheating other people so that they could get rich. No one liked tax collectors. In fact, in early Jewish writings, tax collectors were listed along with murderers and robbers as people it was okay to lie to. They weren't allowed to be witnesses in court. No one trusted tax collectors. So the choice offered in this parable would sound like us today, like, would you rather be like Mother Teresa or Bernie Madoff? Would you rather be a woman who dedicated her life to caring for orphans or a guy who swindled masses of people out of millions of dollars? The Pharisee or the tax collector? The obvious answer to Jesus' audience was the Pharisees. They would much rather be like the Pharisees than like a tax collector. That's why this parable and others like it were so surprising. It's part of what theologians call the great reversal in the book of Luke, where the people we expect to be the closest to God because of their deeds are the ones who often miss the kingdom of God. And the people we expect to be the farthest away from God are portrayed as the closest to him. This parable isn't trying to say that actually Pharisees are all bad people and tax collectors are actually all good people. It's not saying that the Pharisees' dedication to his faith and practice were bad or that the way the tax collector swindled people was good. No. Verse 9 tells us why Jesus told this parable. Verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, he told it to challenge people who felt good about their faith practice, good about their healthy spiritual life. People who, out of this place of spiritual maturity, had actually started to slide toward an unhealthy attitude of self-satisfaction, self-reliance, self-righteousness. The verse doesn't say exactly who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the crowd or to the disciples or to the Pharisees. Luke left that ambiguous, probably on purpose, so that all of his readers would ask themselves if perhaps we are in need of this parable. Jesus told this parable to tell us a truth about life in the kingdom of God. The big idea of this parable is that humility is necessary for entrance into God's kingdom, while pride is an obstacle. Humility is necessary to gain entrance into God's kingdom. Pride is an obstacle. Humility is the only way to get into God's kingdom. And pride, Jesus says, is an obstacle that makes it hard for us to participate in what God is up to. 
This parable is intended as a personification of humility and pride to force a choice. Which will we choose? Will we choose the way of pride, like Katie, when her friend's baby wasn't sleeping through the night? Or will you choose the way of humility, like Katie, when her baby wouldn't sleep through the night? As we consider the choice between these two paths this morning, we're going to take a look at how pride and humility differ in their view of self, their view of others, and their view of God. First, the first thing we notice is that pride is puffed up by piety, but humility is honest about sin. Pride, personified by the Pharisee, is puffed up with his own righteousness, his own good deeds, but humility, personified by this tax collector, is honest about how much further it has to go. When the Pharisee looked in the mirror, he felt good about what he saw. The Pharisee knew the law, the Torah, and he obeyed it. The Torah commanded tithing on everything you make as income, but this Pharisee tithes tithes out of all he gets. That means that even if he gets something as a gift, he tithed on it, which was more than the command. And he fasted. Again, the Torah only commands fasting um, once a year for the Day of Atonement, but this man fasted twice a week. Listen, none of those things are bad. It's admirable. The problem wasn't his practice. The problem was his posture. This man clearly felt that his above and beyond spiritual practice made him special. Five times in his prayer, he used the word I. I, 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 me, me, me. That's why he stood up by himself. He felt like he was special and deserved a place of honor because of all the good things he did. He took Torah more seriously than other people, so he was going to stand and be an example for other people. He would set himself apart as a model of righteous living. The Pharisee was proud of his piety. The tax collector, on the other hand, was humbled by his sin. We see that in the description of his posture. The tax collector stood far off. In Jesus' day, in the temple, there were different places in the temple for different people. There was a place for Jews and Gentiles, men and women, clean and unclean. That might be why this tax collector is standing far off. He clearly feels he isn't worthy to come in to the temple. The tax collector won't look up to heaven. His eyes are down. He beats on his chest. He senses there is no place for him in the temple and that he is supremely unworthy to approach God. He confesses his great need. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Greek actually says, the sinner. The sinner. He senses the great depth of his sin. He's like Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 who says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The Pharisee is proud of his piety. and The tax collector is humbled by his sins. Aren't we likely to be just like the Pharisee? Especially now, in an age where everything we do is fair game for social media profiles that promote a carefully curated image of who we are. As I go closer and closer to Christ, my spiritual life looks more and more like the way of Jesus. I find myself 
more prone to be like the Pharisee instead of the tax collector. I congratulate myself on a streak of reading the Bible every day, praying for other people, giving. I start to feel so good about these things. And I'd rather think about what I'm doing well than where I'm failing. So I focus more and more on what I'm doing well. And in that way, I can become proud, just like the Pharisee. The problem isn't our spiritual practices. The problem is our temptation to take pride in our spiritual practices instead of staying humble as we recognize our great need. So that's the first difference between pride and humility. The second difference we see between pride and humility is that pride demeans others to inflate its own self-view, while humility is really concerned only with its own sin. The Pharisee in this parable was not only proud of his spiritual practices, he compared himself to other people to make himself feel better. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Here we uncover a little more of the problem with this seemingly righteous man. Not only was he proud of his piety, he demeaned others to make himself feel better. It wasn't enough for him to be satisfied with how he was enjoying his relationship with God and how he was growing more like Jesus or like God. He had to point out the failures of others to position himself as better than them. His holiness became a problem for him because it caused him to think more highly of himself and more critically of everyone else. My friend April shared a great illustration of what this man was doing. It's like when you're trying to get out of the water in a pool onto your inner tube, and you have to push down on the tube to raise yourself up. That's what this man was doing, pushing others down so he could raise himself up. In order to take pride in his piety, the man had to make others out to be the worst of humanity. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, tax collectors, I'm so glad I'm not like them. The Pharisee stood apart from other people so that he wouldn't be contaminated by them. He stood alone to elevate himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, wasn't actually really even thinking about other people. <laughs> but the tax collector, Luke says, stood at a distance. He would not look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Calling himself the sinner may have been his way of acknowledging that he was everything other people thought about him and more. He knew that there was no way he could ever make up for how much he'd wronged other people. There was no way other people were going to accept him. He's standing alone because he is humble before God. He's far off because he doesn't feel worthy. There was no place for him in the temple, and he doesn't try to seize one. He doesn't try to change other people's minds about him. He's not thinking about other people. He's thinking about himself. He's thinking about his own sin. He's thinking about how much he needs God's mercy. I think it's so easy to look at other people's sin instead of our own, isn't it? <laughs> to be honest, when I think about the kinds of conversations I tend to have about sin, I have to say, I think I spend more time talking about other people's sin than I do my own. Not like gossiping about what so-and-so is doing. Here at Harbor, we don't talk about people behind their back. But talking about the sin that's out there. 
Sins that like people generally struggle with, like materialism, gluttony, pride, anger. Sins that are common in our society that the church has to break free from. Or even on the debates about things, we don't all agree if they're sin or not. It's easy to talk about that sin, the sin other people are doing. But if I'm honest, if I had to give a percentage, I would guess that my conversations about sin, probably 90% of them are about sin that's not mine. And maybe 10% are about the sin in here. That's the danger for those of us who've been in the faith a long time. Maybe our obvious sin gets better. Maybe we develop spiritually healthy habits. Maybe we feel closer to God. And that's beautiful. But right there, right in that sweet place, we are more in danger than ever of forgetting how very lost we were without God's help. We are in more danger than ever of forgetting how very far God has brought us We are in more danger than ever of excluding other people whose righteousness doesn't match our own. This Pharisee is condemned for pointing out the sins of other people, but the tax collector is commended for being honest and humble about his own. So there's a difference in how pride and humility think about themselves, how they think about others, and there's a difference between how pride and humility think about God. This third difference we see is that pride relies on its own self-righteousness, but humility relies on God's mercy. In this parable, the Pharisee has forgotten that he needs God, forgotten that he needs forgiveness. He can list all the great things he's done, and he feels confidence that his obedience to the Torah places him in a safe position on the inside with God. He assumes God is very impressed with his piety and that God's main message for him would be, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Keep it up. The tax collector, on the other hand, comes to God open-handed. He's aware of his sin. He knows he's missed the mark, that he hasn't done anything worthy of congratulations from God. He addresses God with humility, with full acceptance of his great need for God's help, for God's mercy, for God's forgiveness. The Pharisee assumes a God who is pleased with self-sufficient piety and feelings of superiority. Tax collector seeks a God of mercy who responds to the honest prayers of his people. And verse 14 tells us that both men get what they asked God for. I tell you that this man, the Pharisee, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. They both got what they asked for. The Pharisee asked for nothing because he didn't think he needed anything. He came to God convinced of his self-dependent righteousness. So he didn't ask for anything, and that's what he got. Nothing. That's so sad to me. And and I think Jesus was sad about how that Pharisee went away unjustified. See, I think sometimes the most prideful people are actually the most insecure. I know that's true of me. 
The reason I push other people down to feel better about myself is because deep down I wonder if I'm actually doing okay. That's the problem with self-righteousness. It's not at all sustainable. We're all sinners. (laughs) We all mess up. My everyday streak of reading the Bible will come to an end. I can't keep it up forever. And if all I have is my own efforts at self-righteousness, I'm stuck. I feel like an utter failure, and I feel like God must be so disappointed in me because I couldn't do it. When all along, that's exactly the point. We can't. But God can. The tragedy of this story is that the Pharisee went away with nothing when God was willing and able and ready to give him everything. The tax collector, on the other hand, knew his need. He knew he needed mercy. He asked for it, and God gave it to him. Compassion, restoration, forgiveness. Like other sinful people in Luke's gospel, this tax collector shockingly finds himself included in God's people. So the way of pride is infatuated with its own piety, its own acts of righteousness, Pride thinks so highly of its own holiness that it excludes others and focuses on their sin to inflate their own self-righteousness. And in the end, pride is reliant on itself. In the end, the way of pride causes us to miss out on God's mercy, God's forgiveness, because we don't think we need it. This parable was clearly aimed as a challenge to people who struggled with being like that Pharisee, with choosing the way of pride. Soren Kierkegaard said about this parable, when we feel safe, we are in peril. His point was just as we've said, those of us who've been followers of Jesus for a long time are in danger of self-reliance as we become more comfortable in the rhythms of life in the kingdom of God. The further we get from our life before Christ, the harder it is for us to remember what a wretched state we used to be in. We become like the church in Laodicea who Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. We're all vulnerable to this sort of self-sufficient, prideful thinking. And when we start thinking that we can take care of ourselves and we start to feel a little resentment toward other people who don't seem to be doing as well as we are, and then we start to judge them, and then we start to spend more and more time talking about and thinking about the sin that's out there instead of our own sin. And in this place is where God wants to deliver us a wake-up call. Right here is where God says, you know that person that you are just really concerned about because they don't seem to know that they're sinning so badly? They're in a better place with me than you are. Because they're just worrying about their own relationship with me and not pointing out everyone else's sin. They're coming to me humble while you're coming to me proud. They're coming to me in a posture of need while you're coming to me in a posture of self-satisfaction. Ouch! That's what Jesus means when he says God will humble those who exalt themselves. When we start to think that we're better than everyone else, even if we would never say that out loud. 
God will be quick to correct such prideful thinking. He'll be quick. Like the guest in another one of Jesus' parables who assumes that the seat of honor was for them and was then embarrassed when someone more important came and they had to move. God will be quick to help us when we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I'm betting some of us in this room are probably thinking, oh man, I'm so glad so-and-so heard this message today, or I probably need to send this message because they really need to hear it. They're just like that Pharisee. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Oh, (laughs) we all struggle with this. And for those of us who might be sitting here this morning feeling more like the tax collector, I want to encourage you. Jesus says that God exalts the humble. If you're here this morning feeling the weight of your sins, wondering if God wants you in his presence, feeling such a great need for God's mercy and God's forgiveness, Jesus says there's good news. Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to welcome you in. He wants to restore you. He wants to bind up what's broken in your life, to wipe away your past, and give you a beautiful new future. That's what God wants for you. Verse 9 says that Jesus told this story to some people who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. It doesn't say what happened after he told this parable as it so often doesn't. It doesn't tell us whether these prideful people repented. It doesn't tell us whether they had their eyes opened to their great position of need. It doesn't tell us whether they continued in the way of pride or changed course into the way of humility. But that's the choice for us this morning. The way of humility or the way of prideful self-sufficiency. This morning, I want to invite you to consider some of these differences we've talked about in the way pride and humility view themselves and others in God. I want to consider who we each identify with this morning. If you look at that list, where are you honestly sitting today? If there are areas where you have been choosing the way of pride, confess that to God. Ask him to help you boast only in the work of Jesus in your life. Ask him to help you be more concerned with your own sin than with the sin of others. Ask him to help you stay dependent on him and not act as though you can get by just fine on your own. We're going to take just the next few moments to sit quietly before God and ask God to open up in our hearts whatever it is he wants to say to us. If it's a word of comfort for those feeling far from God, if it's a word of challenge or conviction for those of us struggling with the sin of prideful self-righteousness, let's just set our hearts open before God. Let's ask him to come and change us. He loves us. Even this work of rooting out the pride in our hearts is an act of love. Your father loves you. So spend these moments with him, and then the band will lead us in a song um, in the next three to four minutes. Let me pray. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that in your love, you invite us to look in the mirror sometimes. In these next moments, God, will you do your work of gently exposing what doesn't look like you in our hearts, gently lifting up areas where we are tempted to become like this Pharisee, prideful, self-righteous, self-dependent, pushing down others so that we look better. 
Root those things out in our hearts, God, and invite us back to the place of confessing our great need for you so that we can receive the forgiveness and restoration that you have for us, that you are so willing to give. In Jesus' name, amen.